0: So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are a grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Uh, the dead pet industry is weird. Um, I think I mentioned in the last episode that uh, when I had the person come put the cat down, that was uh, in the process of passing away, uh, the lady kind of wouldn't leave, kept really milking um, the whole sadness aspect and So finally when she left, uh, me and the children were relieved that we could just try to deal with it on our own without somebody just reminding you. Oh, how horrible it is. So, since then I received a card, uh, and then after that uh, I received another card. Uh, And they're just hitting you, one after another, with sympathy cards. And uh, they were supposed to deliver the ashes. So that's what happened this week. Uh, a couple of women wearing nurses' outfits, uh, scrubs or whatever, walked up to the door and they rang it. And I was in the middle of taking a dump and I wasn't going to go answer that door. And they were sitting there staring because I can see it through the nest doorbell thing that I have. And everyone knows what a nest is at this point. So now people wave at the camera, which is kind of weird. Um, so she put something in the door and then she leaned into the camera and whispered uh, we'll send you an email and, uh, and maybe give you a call to let you know what's going on or whatever. And then, uh, waved again and then turned around her and her friend and walked off to their car. It defeats the purpose of the Nest Camera, if you can just, like, talk to it and you know it's there. Uh, and also, gee, would you guys just back off and leave me alone? Ever since then, the other cat just sort of, it's a whole new animal. Uh, maybe I just never paid attention to this non-dying cat, but now he just sits in the middle of the living room, all four legs down on the floor, just stares up at you, just watching you as you walk through the room, and doesn't move for hours. Uh, and then he he and the other cat used to love treats. Every morning, they'd scream at me to wake up, and every evening, they'd scream at me to get off the couch and go feed them their treats. So i try to keep that up with him and try to give him extra special treats, because I figure maybe he's sad. But, uh, he doesn't eat them. He'll yell for them, and then I'll give him the treats, and then he just sniffs it and walks away. Which makes me wonder, did he ever eat the treats? Uh, Did the other cat eat all of them? What am I supposed to... What does he want? Besides to stare at me. I opened up the bathroom door today after taking a shower, and he's just sitting on the floor, staring at me from the hallway. Just watching. So eerie. Well... That's pretty much it. I have a new job next week and my old boss is making my life pretty hard. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. Chapter 4. The Ministrations of the Reverend Mr. Drone. The Church of England in Mariposa is on a side street, where the maple trees are thickest, a little up uh, the hill from the heart of the town. The trees above the church and the grass plot that was once the cemetery, till they made the new one, the necropolis, over the brow of the hill, fell out the whole corner. Down behind the church... With only the driving shed and a lane between is the rectory. It is a little brick house with odd angles. There's a hedge and a little gate and a weeping ash tree uh, with the red berries. At the side of the rectory, churchward, uh, there's a little grass lawn with low hedges. And at the side of that, two wild plum trees that are practically always in white blossom. Underneath them is a rustic table and chairs and it is there that you may see rural Dean Drone. The incumbent of the Church of England Church, sitting in the checkered light of the plum trees that is neither sun nor shadow. Generally, you will find him reading, and when I tell you that at the end of the grass plot, uh, where the hedge is highest, there is a yellow beehive with seven bees that belong to Dean Drone, you will realize that it is only fitting that the Dean is reading in Greek. For what better could a man be reading beneath the blossom of the plum trees? Within the very sound of the bees, that the pastorals of Theotri- Theocritus, I pronounce that right, and the light trash of modern romance might put a man to sleep in such a spot, but with such food for reflection as Theocritus, a man may safely close his eyes and muse on what he reads without fear of dropping into slumber. Some men, I suppose, terminate their education when they leave their college. Not so, Dean Drone. Uh, I have often heard him say that if he couldn't take a book in Greek out on a lawn in a spare half hour, he would feel lost. It is a certain activity of the brain that must be stilled somehow. The dean, too, seemed to have a native feeling for the Greek language. I have often heard people who might sit with him on the lawn ask him to translate some of it, but he always refused. One couldn't translate it, he said— it lost so much in translation that it was better not to try. It is far wiser uh, not to attempt it. If you undertook to translate it, there is something gone, something missing immediately. I believe that many classical scholars feel this way and uh, uh, like to read Greek just as it is. Not the hazard of trying to put it into so poor a medium as English. So that when Dean Drone said that he simply couldn't translate it, I believe he is perfectly sincere. Sometimes, indeed... He'd read it aloud. That was another matter. Uh, Whenever, for example, Dr. Gallagher, I mean, of course, old Dr. Gallagher, not the young doctor who always is out in the country in the afternoon, would come over and bring his latest Indian relics to show the dean the latter always read to him a passage or two. As soon as the doctor laid his tomahawk on the table and the dean would reach for Theocritus... I remember that on that day when Dr. Gallagher brought over the Indian skull he had dug out of the railway embankment and placed it on the rustic table, the dean read to him, oh, so long from Theocritus, that the doctor, I truly believe, dozed off in the chair. The dean had to wait and fold his hands with his book across his knee and close his eyes till the doctor would wake up again and the skull was on the table between them and from above the plum blossoms fluttered down till they made flakes on it as white as Dr. Gallagher's hair. I don't want you to suppose that the Reverend Mr. Drone spent the whole of his time under the trees. Eh, not at all. In point of fact, uh, the rector's life was one round of activity, which lie himself might deplore is as powerless to prevent. Uh, he had hardly sat down beneath the trees of an afternoon after his midday meal. Uh, there was the infant class at three. Uh, and after that, it was scarcely an hour between the mother's auxiliary at five. Uh, the next morning, the book club. And that evening, the Bible study class, and the next morning, the early workers' guild is at eleven thirty. The whole week was like that, and if one found time to sit down for an hour or so to recuperate, it was almost the most one could do. After all, uh, if a busy man spends a little bit of leisure that he gets in advanced classical study, there's surely no harm in it, I suppose. Uh, Take it in, all in all, there wasn't a busier man uh, than the royal dean among the Anglican clergy of the diocese. If the dean eh, ever did snatch uh, half a day from his incessant work, he spent it in fishing. Hmm. But not always that, uh, for as likely as not, instead of taking a real holiday, uh, he would put the whole afternoon uh, amusing the children and the boys that he knew with by making kites uh, and toys and clockwork steamboats for them. It was unfortunate uh, for the dean that he had the strange interest and aptitude for mechanical advances, uh, which he possessed, and otherwise this kind of thing uh, would not be too cruel of an imposition. Ah, but the Reverend Mr. Drone had a curious liking for machinery. I think I never heard him preach a better sermon than the one on airplanes. Uh, Lo, what now? See you on high, Jeremiah 2. So it was that he spent two whole days making a kite with Chinese wings for Teddy Moore, ah, the photographer's son, and closed down the infant class for 48 hours so that Teddy Moore would not miss the pleasure of flying it. Or rather, seeing it flown, it is foolish to trust a Chinese kite to the hands of a young child. In the same way that Dean made a mechanical top for a little Majory Tronani, the Cripple, uh, ugh, to see spun it, would have been unwise to allow the affected girl to spin it. There was no end to the things that Mr. Drone could make, and always for the children. Even when he was uh, making the sand clock for poor little Willie Yodel, who died, you know, the Dean went right on with it and gave it to another child with just the same pleasure. Death, you know, uh, to the clergy is a different thing uh, from what it is to us. Uh, the dean and Mr. Gingham used to often to speak of it as they walked through the long grass of the new cemetery, the Necropolis. And when your Sunday walk is uh, to your wife's grave, as the dean's was, perhaps it seems different to anybody. The Church of England Church, I said, stood close to the rectory, a tall, sweeping church. And inside, a great reach of polished cedar beams that ran to the point of the roof. There used to stand on the same spot, a little stone church. that all the grown-up people in Mariposa still remember a quaint little building in red and gray stone. About it was the old cemetery. That was all smoothed out later into the grass plot round the new church, and the headstones laid out flat. And no new graves have been uh, put there for forever so long uh, that the Mariposa children still walk around and read the headstones lying flat in the grass and look for the old ones. Because some of them are ever so old, forty or fifty years back. Nor are you to think from all this that the Dean was not a man with serious perplexities. You could easily convince yourself of the contrary, for if you watched the Reverend Mr. Drone as he sat reading in Greek, you would notice that no very long period ever passed without his taking up a sheet or two of paper that lay between the leaves of the Theocritus that were covered close with his fingers. And these the dean would lay upon the rustic table, and he would add them up forwards and backwards, going first up the column and then down it to see that nothing had been left out. And then down it again to see uh, what it was that must have been left out. Mathematics, you'll understand, were not Dean's forte. They never were the forte of men who had been trained in the little Anglican college with the clipped hedges and the cricket ground. Where Rupert Drone uh, had taken the gold medal in Greek 52 years ago. You will see its medal at any time lying there in its open box on the rectory table, in case of immediate need. Any of the drone girls, Lillian or Jocelyn or Theodora, would show it to you. But as I say, ah, mathematics were not the rector's forte. And he blamed for it, in a Christian spirit you'll understand, the memory of his mathematical professor. And often he spoke with great bitterness." I have often heard him say that, in his opinion, the colleges ought to dismiss, of course, in a Christian spirit, all the professors who are not, in the most reverential sense of the term, fit for their jobs. No doubt, many of the clergy of the diocese had suffered more or less just as the dean had from lack of mathematical training, but the dean always felt that his own case was especially to be lamented. Oh, you see... Uh, If a man is trying to make a model aeroplane uh, for a poor family in the lower part of town, and he is brought to a stop by the need of reckoning the coefficient of torsion of uh, cast-iron rods, it shows plainly enough that the colleges are not truly filling their divine mission. But the figures uh, that I speak of were not those of the model aeroplane, These were far more serious. Night and day they had been with the rector now for the best part of ten years, and they grew, if anything, more intricate. If, for example, you try to reckon the dead of a church, a large church with a great sweep of polished cedar beams inside for the special glorification of the all-powerful uh, with the imported tiles on the roof, hm, for the greater glory of heaven, and with the stained glass windows for the exaltation of the all-seeing. If I say, hm, you're up the debt on such a church and, uh, figure out its interest and its present worth, plus a fixed annual payment, it makes a pretty uh, complicated sum. Then, if you try to add to this the annual cost of insurance and deduct from it three-quarters of a stipend year by year, then suddenly you remember that three-quarters is too much. Eh. And because you have forgotten the boarding school fees of the littlest of the drones, including French, as an extra, she must have it. All the older girls did. You've got a sum that pretty well defines uh, ordinary arithmetic. The provoking part of it was that the dean knew perfectly well that with the help of logarithms, he would have done the thing in a moment. But at the Anglican College, they had stopped short at that very place in the book. They had simply explained uh, that logos was a word and arithmos a number, which at the time seemed amply sufficient, so the dean was perpetually taking out his sheets of figures and adding them upwards and downwards, and it never came the same. Very often, Mr. Gingham, who was a warden, would come and sit beside the rector and ponder over the figures. And Mr. Drone would explain that with a book of logarithms, you could work it out in a moment. You would simply open the book and run your finger up the columns. He illustrated exactly the way the finger was moved. There you were, Mr. Gingham said. That is, it was a caution. And that logarithms, I quote his exact phrase, must be a terror. Very often, too, Nivens, the lawyer, who said it was a sidesman, and Mullins, the manager of the exchange bank, Who was the chairman of the vestry would come and take a look at the figures? They could never make much of them because the stipend part was not a matter that one could discuss. Mullins would notice an item for the $100 due on fire insurance and would say, as a businessman, that surely uh, there couldn't be fire insurance. And the dean would say, surely not, and change it. And Mullins would say, surely there can't be $50 for taxes because there weren't any taxes. And the dean would admit that, of course, it couldn't have been for taxes. In fact, the truth is that the dean's figures were badly mixed. And the fault lay indubitably with the mathematical professor of two generations back. It was always Mullen's intention, uh, day, to look into the finances of the church, and more so as his father had been with Dean Drone at the little Anglican college with his cricket ground. But he was a busy man, and as explained to the rector himself, the banking business nowadays is getting to be such that a banker can hardly call, even his Saturday mornings his own. Certainly Henry Mullins could not. They belonged largely to Smith Hotel, and during the fishing season they belonged away down at the lake, so far away that practically no one, uh, unless it was George Duff of the Commercial Bank, could see them. But to think that all this trouble had come through the building of the new church, that was the bitterness of it. For... The twenty-five years that the rural Dean Drone had preached in the little stone church had had been his one aim, as he often put it in his sermons, to rear a larger ark in Gideon. His one hope had been to set up a greater evidence, or, very simply stated, to kindle a brighter beacon. After twenty-five years of waiting, and he had been able to at last kindle it, everyone in Mariposa remembers the building of the church. First of all, they had demolished the little stone church to make way for the newer evidence. It seemed almost a sacrilege, as the dean himself said, to lay hands on it. Indeed, it was first proposed to take the stone of it and to build it into a Sunday school, ah, as lesser testimony. Then, when that provided a practical, it was suggested that the stone be reverently fashioned into a wall that should stand as a token. And when even that could not be managed, the stone of the little church was laid reverently into a stone pile. Afterwards, it was devoutly sold uh, to a building contractor, and like so much else in life, was forgotten. But the building of the church, uh, no one I think will forget, the dean himself threw into the work with his coat off and his white shirt sleeves conspicuous among the gang that were working at the foundations. He set his hand to the shovel, himself guided the road scraper, urging the horses, cheering and encouraging the men. Till they begged him to desist, he mingled with the stonemasons, advising, helping and giving counsel. Till they was uh, pleaded with him to rest. He was among the carpenters, sawing, hammering, inquiring, suggesting. Till they besought him to uh, lay off. And he was night and day with the architect's assistants, drawing, planning, revising. Till the architect uh, told him to cut it out. So great was his activity that I doubt whether the new church would ever have been finished had not the wardens and the vestry men insisted that Mr. Drone must uh, take a holiday uh, and sent him into the Mackinac trip up to the lakes, uh, the only foreign travel in Dean's life. So in due time, the new church was built and it towered above the maple trees of Mariposa like a beacon on a hill. It stood so high uh, that from the open steeple of it, where the bells were, you could see all the town lying at its feet, and the farmsteads to the south of it, and the railway like a double pencil line, and Lake Wissanati spread out like a map. And you could see the appreciate from the height of the new church such a prize as the growing wealth of Mariposa, uh, that you could never have seen from the Little Stone Church at all. Presently, the church was open, and the dean preached his first sermon in it. Then he called it a greater testimony. And he said that it was in an earnest the first fruit of endeavor. And that it was a token or a pledge. And he named it also a covenant. He said too that it was an anchorage and a harbor uh, and a lighthouse. As well as uh, being a city set upon a hill. Uh, and he ended by declaring it an ark of refuge. And notified them that the Bible class would meet in the basement of it. And that on every other third Wednesday... In the opening months, uh, preaching about it, the dean had called the church so often in earnest and a pledge and a girdion and a tabernacle that I think he used to forget that it wasn't paid for. It was only then uh, the agent of the Building Society and a representative of the Hosanna Pipe and Steam Organ Company, uh, Limited, used to call for quarterly payments, uh, that he was suddenly reminded of the fact. Always after these men came round, the dean used to preach a special sermon on sin in the course of which he would mention that the ancient Hebrews used to put unjust traitors to death, a thing of which he spoke with uh, Christian serenity. A little sip of coffee there, sorry. I don't think uh, that at first anybody troubled much about the debt on the church. Dean Drone's figures showed that it was only a matter of time before it would be extinguished. Only a little effort was needed. A little girding up of the loins of the congregation, and they could could consider the whole debt and trample it under their feet. let them but set their hands to the plough, and they could soon guide it into the deep water when they might furl their sails and set every man under his own olive tree. meantime while the congregation was waiting to gird up its loins, the interest on the debt was paid somehow, or when it wasn't paid was added to the principal. I don't know whether you have had any experience with greater testimonies and with beacons set on hills, and if you have, you will realize how, at first gradually, uh, and then rapidly, their position from year to year grows uh, more distressing. For uh, what with the building loan and the organ installment and the fire insurance and the cruel charge and the heat and light, and uh, Richter began to realize as he added up the figures that nothing uh, but logarithms would solve them. And then the time came... When not only the rector, but all the wardens knew and the sidesmen knew that the debt was more than the church could carry. Then the choir knew uh, and the congregation knew. And at last, everybody knew. And there were special collections at Easter and special days of giving and special weeks of tribulation and uh, special arrangements with the Hosanna Pipe and Steam Organ Company. And it was noticed that when the rural dean announced a service of Lenten Sorrow, aimed more especially at the businessmen, the congregation had diminished uh, a by 40%. I suppose things are just the same elsewhere. I mean, the peculiar kind of discontent that crept into the Church of England congregation in Mariposa after the setting up of the beacon, there were those who claimed uh, that they had seen the error from the first. Though they had kept quiet, as such people always do, from the breadth of mind, there were those who had felt years before how it would end, but their lips were sealed from humility of spirit. What was worse was that there were others who grew dissatisfied with the whole conduct of the church. Yodel, ugh, the auctioner, for example, narrated how he had been to the city and had gone into service of the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, I believe, uh, to state it more fairly, he had, quote, dropped in, unquote, the only recognized means of access to such service. He claimed that the music that he had heard there was music that, outside of his profession, the chanting and intoning could not be touched. Ed Moore, the photographer, also related that he had listened to a sermon in the city, and that if anyone would guarantee him a sermon like that, he would defy you to keep him away from the church. Meanwhile, failing the guarantee, he stayed away. The very doctrines were impeached. Some of the congregation began to cast doubts on the eternal punishment. Doubts so grave as to keep them absent from the Lenten services of sorrow. Indeed, lawyer McCartney took up the whole question of the Athanason creed one afternoon with Joe Milligan, a dentist who had hardly left a clause of it intact. All the time, you will understand, Dean Drone kept on with his special services and leaflets, calls and appeals, went out. Uh, from the Ark of Gideon like rockets from a sinking ship More and more with every month The debt of the church lay heavy on his mind At times he, he forgot it oh, At other times he woke up in the night and thought about it Sometimes as he went down the street From the lighted precincts of the greater testimony And passed the Salvation Army Praying around a naphtha lamp under the open sky It smote him uh, to the heart with a stab But the congregation were wrong I think, in imputing fault to the sermons of Dean Drone. There I do think they were wrong. I can speak from personal knowledge when I say that the rector's sermons were not only stimulating in matters of faith, but contained valuable material in regard to the Greek language. To modern machinery, and uh, to a variety of things that should have proved the highest advantage to the congregation, there was, I say, uh, the Greek language. The dean always showed the greatest delicacy of feeling in regard to any translation in it or out of it that he made from the pulpit. He was never willing to accept even the faintest shade of rendering different from the commonly given without being assured of full congruence of the congregation. Either the translation must be unanimous and uh, without contradiction, or he could not pass it. He could pause in his sermon and he would say, Ah, the original Greek is hosen." Uh, but perhaps you will allow me to translate it. "'It is as equivalent to Hoyen, and they did. "'So that if there was any fault to be found, "'it was purely on the side of the congregation "'for not entering a protest at the time. "'It was the same way in regard to machinery. "'After all, what better illustrates the supreme purpose of the all-wise than such a thing as the dynamo, ah, or the reciprocating machine engine, or marine engine, or the pictures of the Scientific American. Then, too, if a man has had the opportunity to travel and has seen the great lake spread out by the hand of providence from where one leaves the new dock at the sound to where arrives safe and thankful with one's dear fellow passengers in the spirit at the concrete landing stage at Mackinaw. It is not this fit and proper material for the construction of an analogy or illustration? Ah, indeed, even apart from an analogy, it is not mighty interesting to narrate anyway. In any case, uh, why should the church wardens have sent the rector on the Mackinac trip if they had not expected him to make some little return for it? I lay some stress on this point because the criticisms directed against the Mackinac sermons always seemed uh, so unfair. If the rector had described his experiences in the crude language of ordinary newspaper, there might, I admit, have been something unfitting about it. But he was always careful to express himself in a way that showed, or, listen, let me explain with an example. It happened uh, to be my lot some years ago, he would say, to find myself a voyager just as one is a voyager on the Sea of Life. On the broad expanse of water which had been spread out to the northwest of us by the Hand of Providence, at a height of 581 feet above the level of the sea, I refer, I may say, to Lake Huron. Now, how different that is from saying I'll never forget the time I went on the Mackinac trip. The whole thing has a different sound entirely in the same way that the dean would go on "'I was voyaging on one of those magnificent leviathans in the water. "'I refer to the boats of the Northern Navigation Company "'and was standing beside the forward rail, "'talking with a dear brother in the faith who was journeying westward also. "'I may say he was a commercial traveller, "'and beside us was a dear sister in the spirit seated in a deck chair, "'while near us were two other dear souls in grace "'engaged in Christian pastime on the deck.' I allude more particularly to the game of deck billiards. I leave it to any reasonable man, whether with that complete and fair-minded explanation of the environment, it was not perfectly proper to close down the analogy as the rector did with the simple words, In fact, it was an extremely fine morning. Yet there were some people, even in Mariposa, that took exception and spent their Sunday dinner time in making out that they couldn't understand what Dean Drone was talking about and asking one another if they knew. Once, as he passed out from the doors of the greater testimony, the rector heard someone say, Eh, the church would be all right if that old mugwump uh, was out of the pulpit. I went to his heart like a barbed thorn, and it stayed there. You know, perhaps how a remark of that sort can stay and rankle and make you wish you could hear it again to make sure of it. Because perhaps you didn't hear it, all right. And there was a mistake, after all. Perhaps no one said it. Anyway, you ought to have written it down at the time. I have seen the dean take down the encyclopedia in the rectory and move his fingers slowly down the pages of the letter M, looking for mugwump. But it wasn't there. I have known him in his little study upstairs to turn over the pages of the Animals of Palestine, looking for a mugwump. But there was none there. It must have been unknown in the greater days of Judea. So things went on eh, from month to month and from year to year, and the debt and the charges loomed like a dark and gathering cloud on the horizon. I don't mean to say that efforts were not made to face the difficulty and fight it. They were... Time to time, the workers of the congregation got together and thought out plans for the extinction of the debt, but somehow, after every trial, the debt grew larger with each year, and every system that could be devised turned out more hopeless than the last. They began, I think, uh, with the endless chain of letters of appeal. You may remember the device, uh, for it was uh, all popular in clerical circles some ten or fifteen years ago. You got a number of people to write each of them three letters asking for ten cents. From three, each of their friends, and asking uh, from each of them to send uh, three similar letters. Three of each from three of each, and three each more from uh, each. Do you observe the wonderful ingenuity of it? Nobody, I think, has forgotten how the willing workers of the Church of England Church of Mariposa sat down in the vestry room in the basement with a pile of stationery, three feet high, sending out letters. Some I know will never forget it. Certainly not Mr. Pupkin, uh, the teller in the exchange bank, for it is here that he met Zena Pepperley, the judge's daughter, for the first time, and they worked so busily that they wrote out ever so many letters, uh, eight or nine, uh, in a single afternoon, and they discover that their handwritings were awfully alike, hmm. which was one of the most extraordinary amazing coincidences you'll admit in the history of a uh, chirography. Ah, But the scheme failed. Failed utterly. I don't know why. The letters went out and were copied, broadcast, and recopied till you could see the Mariposa endless chain winding its way toward the Rocky Mountains. Ah, They never got the ten cents. The willing workers wrote for it in thousands, but by some odd chance they never struck the person who had it. Then after that, there came a regular winter of effort. First of all, they had a bazaar ah, that was got up by the girls' auxiliary and held in the basement of the church. All, all the girls wore special costumes and were brought up from the city. And they had booths where there was every imaginable thing for sale. And pincushion covers and chair covers and sofa covers. Everything that you could think of. If the people had once started buying them, the debt would have been lifted in no time. Even if it was the bazaar, only lost twenty dollars. After that, I think, was the magic lantern lecture that Dean Drone gave on Italy and her invaders. Yeah, they got the lantern and the slides up from the city. And it was simply splendid. Some of the slides were perhaps a little confusing, yeah, but it was all there, the pictures of the dense Italian jungle and the crocodiles and the naked invaders and their invading clubs. It was a pity. It was such a bad night, snowing hard and a curling match on, or they would have uh, made a lot of money out of the lecture. As was the loss, uh, apart from the breaking of the lantern, which was unavoidable, was quite trifling. I can hardly remember uh, all the things that were... After that, I recollect it was always uh, Mullins who arranged about renting the hall and printing the tickets, and all that sort of thing. His father, uh, you remember, had been at the Anglican College with Dean Drone, And uh, though the rector was 37 years older than Mullins, he leaned upon him in matters of business as uh, upon a staff. And though Mullins was 37 years younger than Dean, he leaned against him in matters of doctrine as against a rock. At one time, they got the idea that what the public wanted was not anything instructive uh, but something light and amusing. Mullen said that people love to laugh. Uh, He said that if you got a lot of people all together and get them laughing, you can do anything you like with them. Once they start to laugh, oh, they're lost. So they got Mr. Deary, oh, Dreary, Dreary, the English literature teacher at the high school to give an evening's readings from the great humorists from Chaucer to Adam Smith. They came mighty near to making a barrel of money out of that. If the people had once started laughing, it would have been all over with them. Uh, As it was, I heard a lot of them say that they simply wanted to scream with laughter. Uh, They said that they just felt like bursting into peals of laughter all the time, even when, in the more subtle parts, uh, they didn't feel like bursting out laughing. Uh, They said that they had all they could do to keep from smiling, and they had never had such a hard struggle in their lives not to smile. In fact, the chairman said that he put the vote of thanks and he was sure that if people known that the lecture was to be like, there would have been a much better turnout. But you see, all the people had to go on was just the announcement of the name of the lecturer, Mr. Dreary. And uh, he would lecture on English humor, all seats 25 cents. As the chairman expressed it himself, if the people had any idea, any idea at all, of what the lecture would be like, they would had been there in hundreds. Oh, but how could they get an idea that it would be so amusing with practically nothing to go upon? After that attempt, things seemed to go from bad to worse. Nearly everybody was disheartened about it. What would have happened to the debt, or whether they would ever be paid off, is more than I can say if it hadn't occurred that the light broke on the Mullins in the strangest and most surprising way you can imagine. It happened that he went away for his bank holidays, and while he was away, he happened to be present in one of the big cities and saw how they went at it to raise money. He came home in such a state of excitement that he went straight up from Mariposa Station to the rectory, Valise and all, and he burst in on one April evening to where the rural dean was sitting with the three girls beside the lamp in the front room. And he cried out, Mr oh, the drone. I got it. I've got a way that will clear the debt before you're a fortnight older. We'll have a whirlwind campaign in Mariposa. But stay. The change from the depth of depression to the pinnacle of hope is too abrupt. I must pause and tell you in another chapter of the whirlwind campaign in Mariposa. Well, what did we learn from that? Uh, hubris. That's what we learned. Just because you sit around reading in Greek and refuse to translate it. Hubris. And then you decide you got to get a new church built. Because you're important and you need a new church. Hubris. And you don't even know how to pay for it. And you think to yourself, ah, the people will pay for it. Hubris. It's a lot like the city I live in. Where they... Both teams, baseball and football, decided that they wanted their own stadiums. They'd been sharing one for 20 years, maybe. And they decided, no, we want our own, the football team said. And the baseball team said, sucks to this place, we want our own. And all through the 80s and 90s, nobody in my state wanted to pay for it. And then they started to threaten, we're going to take the teams away, unless you pay for this. And uh, everyone said, sucks to you, we're not going to pay for it, the thing that's there is good enough. And then uh, they just sort of said, uh, we'll just wait a while. And then they came back and said, oh, we're doing it. And uh, for some reason, everyone was like, oh, okay, and so now we have two new stadiums. Uh, eh, Hubris. But this chapter doesn't end with a resolution. Uh, We get to learn in the chapter 5, the whirlwind campaign in Mariposa how they raise the money to pay off this church. Will they learn their lesson? Eh. Will he ever translate his Greek versions of the Bible he's reading? Eh, probably not. But with that, uh, I will find out next week how that goes. I might start doing uh, two chapters a week to try and get through this book because this book's painful. Uh, painful in the way that it's not meant to be read out loud. Easily. The sentences, whole paragraphs, can go without a comma, which means I start reading really fast and rambling and screwing up stuff. So I kind of want to get past this book. I guess it was a mistake to dive in. That's too late now. I'm married to it. So, next week, chapter 5, and possibly chapter 6. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for listening.